0: Happy new decade, Adrian. 2020 is upon us.
1: That's right, it seems so crazy to be in a, t- a totally new decade and there's gonna be a lot of exciting things that happen. I feel like we are in uh, full speed ahead mode right Hold- now. Iowa's 32 days away, New Hampshire is um, 39 days away. I mean, everything is really starting now. You know, we've been talking about, oh, it's early, it's early. It's not early it's anymore. It's not early anymore. Nope. nope.
0: This is, I I feel like this is the beginning of season two for the Electables.
1: Yeah, I think you're right.
0: Season one, we had a great season one, I think. Uh, 76 episodes. We've been really lucky to get just some fantastic guests on. I think we have probably the most diverse group of guests of any podcast Mm -hmm. out there Mm -hmm. that really showcases a lot of different uh, talented individuals within the party. And uh, I think we've, uh, you know, we've tackled a lot of interesting episodes and traveled a little bit. And um, we're looking forward to this year, though. This is where it all...
1: Boy, it's going to be a wild, wild, but yet a very exciting year. This is sort of what we live for, right? We're political animals, if you will. And uh, this is, you know, this is what it's all about.
0: Yep, yep. This is the game. The game is on right now, I think... uh, You know, a lot of we're going to see we've seen a lot of news come out just in the last 48 hours uh, from different campaigns. But uh, this is this is what political animals live for these next really this year, but particularly the next like two months is going to be insane, I think.
1: Yeah, I think until mid-April, which is when we will likely have a nominee. We should have a nominee. I don't know about that. Well, when you look at the actual delegates and how the process works. I mean, 90% of the delegates will be awarded by mid-April. So statistically, more than likely, statistically, it will be very difficult um, for us to not have at least a very clear definitive frontrunner. Whether or not that person will amass enough delegates to prohibit a um, contested convention, we'll, that's left to be seen. But we will have a pretty good idea who the frontrunner is and who the nominee is at the latest by mid-April.
0: I want to give a quick shout out to our awesome producers from Airs Next. Uh, Kenny Day, Michael Pelequin, Um they have been with us every step of the way uh, and helped us get this podcast off the ground. And uh, we're now all, uh, you know, we're, we're carried on almost every major podcast platform. Uh, and, uh, you know, so a special thanks to, to Kenny, uh, who's here. Michael is... Uh, Unable to be with us today, but Kenny, thanks, my friend. And uh, tell tell uh, listeners about airs next. How um, how folks can uh, contact you?
1: Well, we actually, we will extend a special uh, offer, a friends and family offer, to all the listeners of the electables out there. If uh, if you love the show, if you've considered creating a show like this for yourself or your own organization, hit us up. Uh, you can dm us at the electables on twitter or at airs next all one word or email us at producers at dot com, or go to the site airsnext.com and uh learn a little bit more about our 2020 podcast sound strategy package we've got a really uh unbelievable offer that in- involves lots of uh, free episodes too with the purchase of uh of uh one just one episode and we'd love to um to power your sound. So get in touch.
0: And it's great to be part of the show. Thanks. Awesome. My partner in crime, Adrian Elrod. Let's kick, us Let's kick off the conversation today on fundraising. Mm-hmm. Um, we had big numbers from Bernie Sanders. So I want to get your thoughts on Bernie's numbers. And then we had Biden's numbers come out and Pete's. Haven't heard from Elizabeth Warren's campaign quite yet, but Bernie really, I think, probably shook up a lot of people's uh, thoughts on this race with the amount of money he raised. But yeah, what, what do mean, you think?
1: Yeah, Doug, let's let's kind of look back at Bernie's trajectory in this primary to really understand the significance of this fundraising quarter for him. I mean, in this quarter, he had a heart attack. <laughs> um, at one point, I think his national numbers were down to the you know the the late single digits, nine, maybe ten percent. Um, he looked like he was on his way out, especially as Elizabeth Warren really started to surge. And then in the past few months, he's really come back and solidified himself as the primary progressive candidate. He is the person that represents the left progressive wing of the party, plain and simple. Um, That's where people are starting to flock. They're starting to migrate there. And, you know, we always talk about, Doug, how these national polls don't always matter. It's really the state polls. It's the early state polls. You know, how are people doing in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, Super Tuesday states. But they do matter when it comes to momentum. And as Elizabeth Warren has declined, and she hasn't declined a significant amount, she is still very much in the story. She's in the top four, um, but she has she had some stumbles around Medicare for All in terms of paying for it. And Bernie was able to capitalize without even really attacking her. He was able to capitalize on um, her slight decline and uh, establish himself as the premier progressive candidate in this race. So let's also look at the numbers. Five million donations to his campaign. Again, you cannot underestimate that. Um, I was on MSNBC earlier today, and Von Hilliard mentioned, um, he's, on the, he's an embed up for MSNBC, um, that one, and that basically means one in 300 people in America has given a donation to Bernie Sanders. I mean, that is significant, especially with so many candidates running in this campaign. Um, I think the average donation is under $20, I yeah, believe. $18. $18. Um, th- what this means is that Bernie Sanders will have the resources he needs to, to stay in this campaign, to stay in this race as long as he po- possibly wants to. So that means he could stay in to the last primary state in June. Um, you know, if he wants to stay beyond that, he can. But I'm not trying to get too far off course here, but looking forward, what goes through my mind is... If Bernie Sanders is not the nominee, but he's got such a significant chunk and such a um, stronghold on the progressive base of the party, just like he did in 2016, but maybe even more so this time, how does the nominee pull him in? And does that mean that he needs to be number two on the ticket? Does that mean that somebody else in the progressive establishment needs, needs to be number two on the ticket? I mean, we talk so much about um, having to have a person of color, obviously need a, needing a woman to be on the ticket, either as a nominee which would be amazing, or as the vice president. But does this also mean that we instead, or rather as well, need to have somebody who represents the progressive wing of the party in order to make sure that we keep the party together? Um, Lots and lots of things to think about, but bottom line is Bernie Sanders is here to stay. He's not going anywhere. Anyone who dismisses him as someone who can't win the nomination is doing so at their own peril.
0: Yeah, and I think that what will be interesting is how the media treats Bernie Sanders over the next um, three or four weeks. The scrutiny, uh, the scrutiny was on Elizabeth Warren uh, when she was sort of the co-front runner. Uh, Mayor Pete's record has been examined pretty closely, and he's got he's faced he has faced questions. And I think more than anyone, Joe Biden has been under the media microscope since he got into the race and. For the most part, Bernie has avoided that type of close examination of his record, of, of you know, his career. Uh, now, on one hand, I think his, his supporters will say you know, he's never been treated seriously. No one ever talks about him as someone who could possibly win the nomination. And, and I think that I agree with them on that. Um, but on the other hand, that has led to uh, you know, him not – I think we saw this in 2016 as well. Like Because the media, for whatever reason, doesn't take him seriously, they also don't – and by the media, I'm talking about journalists. And I just don't know if you're seeing you know, people really looking at his career, his record, the good and the bad parts of it in a way that you see with other frontrunners, Elizabeth Warren. Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden have all gone through the ringer. And I don't think we've seen that same thing, same type of um, close examination of Bernie Sanders. as
1: Well, record. we didn't see it in 2016. No, I and know. we're still not seeing it today.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, uh, OK, so let's talk about Mayor Pete's numbers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mayor Pete. He uh, he had a really good fundraising quarter as well. Right. He raised uh, tw- what was the final number? Twenty
1: four point six. Twenty four point six.
0: Twenty four point six. So, uh, better than last quarter, which was 19.1. Mm-hmm. Um, what? But does it matter?
1: Here's what I... Look, yes, of course it matters. I mean, he's got over 500 people on staff. He's able to build out operations sure. in Super Tuesday states. Um, so, he's able to invest beyond those first four states. And by the way, Doug, this is something that... I think people need to keep in mind. We talk so much about the first four, and yes, they are significant in terms of momentum to take you into Super Tuesday, but only 5% of the delegates in the entire Democratic primary are awarded during the first four states. When we get to Super Tuesday, when we're beyond Super Tuesday, when the polls close on Super Tuesday, 50% of the delegates in the Democratic primary will have been awarded or will be awarded when the final results are tallied. So you think about that. About 45% of the delegates are in the entire primary process will be awarded on Super Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, so what this means is this. What that means is this. That means that, yes, you got to do well in the, in the first four states, sure. I mean, it, in, 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 you know, South, doing well in South Carolina demonstrates that you can build a diverse electorate um, coalition. Doing well in Iowa and New Hampshire means that you've got the momentum out of the gate. So there's a lot of different ways to interpret that. But I think that there is a very likely scenario, or a ra- rather a possible scenario, that somebody could amass more delegates in the first four states without winning one of those states. Does that make sense? Because there's not going to sure. be a clear front runner right. in any of those states. You may see Mayor Pete win Iowa. You may see Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders win New Hampshire. You may see— you know, Elizabeth Warren or who knows? Nevada's a crapshoot. It's all about organization. It's all about the ground game there. And then South Carolina looks like it's Joe Biden's state to lose. So really the delegate math matters in the first four, but it's only 5% of the of the de- delegates going forward. So fundraising matters because it means that you can start building out an operation in Super Tuesday states. And that is what Mayor Pete has been doing for for quite a long time. He's, his, we'll see what his burn rate looks like, but knowing – Um, knowing his past, uh, spending habits and tendencies, I have to think that he is spending his money very responsibly. The other thing you got to keep in mind when it comes to Mayor Pete and his significant fundraising numbers, he came into 2019 when he decided to run for president with essentially no list, very little national name ID, very, basically no app apparatus in place. Um, whereas Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, even Amy Klobuchar, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, the senators who have been running, they had a ca- campaign list, they had a leadership pack, they had a senate pack, they had a campaign committee. Mayor Pete came in with essentially nothing, and he's raised seventy-six million dollars so far in this race, which is no no laughing matter. So that in itself is a significant accomplishment.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you could also you could also say the same thing about Andrew Yang, who raised sixteen yep. million dollars this quarter, and he had even less than. Uh, Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete at least ran for the DNC chair position, so he mm-hmm. he had some. You know, there was there within the party apparatus, people knew who Pete was. But Andrew Yang has come out of nowhere and uh, has done a pretty exceptional job. I
1: mean, seventeen and a half million dollars in Q four.
0: Yeah, like Cory
1: Booker raised six million.
0: It's in. It's it's, it's incredible. It's, it's amazing. Incredible. Yeah. Um. You know, the good thing though, I mean, everyone is pointing to the hall that uh, Trump. Had and it was you know look forty five million dollars and the fact he has over hundred million dollars cash on hand Democrats seem to take that super seriously, but I think what is what makes me feel good about uh, the the you know Democrats right now is if you collectively put together what our candidates are raising you know you've got Andrew Yang at sixteen seventeen million you've got. Uh, you've got Sanders at thirty four, thirty five million. You now we have Biden coming in at twenty two. You know, you add it all together, and that shows a lot of energy on the Democratic side and a lot of donor interest in this race. And so, hopefully, when we do have a nominee, this sort of can be transferred to who that whoever that person is, because that means we will be able to compete and beat Trump from in, from a fundraising standpoint. Because right now he owns the lane on the right, right? Mm-hmm. There's no competitors. So he, is, you know, he has all those donors to himself and he's done a good job of raising a lot of this money. But if you look on the left, you put it all together and there's, there's a significant amount of interest and fundraising money out there for Democrats. Yes. And whoever the ultimate nom- you know, uh, you know, the, the nominee is, hopefully we'll be able to bring everyone into the fold.
1: I get so annoyed, frankly, when people say, oh my God, Donald Trump raised $46 million in the Fourth quarter, well, yeah, he did because first of all, the two not competing
0: against one. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm sorry, Bill Weld and uh, and uh, what's his name, Walsh. I can't even remember his first name. Joe Walsh. (laughs) Is he still in? I think he's still in. I mean, these guys are not raising anything. All the Republican money, anybody who's giving any Republicans who are giving to the Republican nominee or any donors who are are giving it to Donald Trump. Um, You just take the front runners alone. I mean, you just take Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden alone. And they basically raised together what Donald Trump raised.
0: More. I mean, more.
1: Well, Biden. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, you're 22. Right. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, for 35. And yeah, of course. Right. Um, right. Thank you. Math was never my strong suit. But <laughs>
0: Neither. But, but, neither but the
1: point is, I just think everyone out there needs to realize and just keep in mind. Sure. Yes. 46 million dollars is a lot of money. Um, we have not seen, to my knowledge, what the RNC is raised for the Q4. I'm sure those num- numbers will come out soon. But when you take the collective embodiment of what all the democratic candidates have raised, including the front runners, even the front runners alone. And then you combine that with the DNC and you combine it with all the outside groups, Democrats are going, there's so much momentum in there and there's so much, so many resources. And once we determine a nominee, hopefully sooner rather than later, there will be, that person will have the resources they need in every which way to compete.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yes, uh, take Trump's haul seriously. Uh, But also, I think you've got to put it in the context, Uh, and the context is if you look at how Democrats are doing from our candidate, you know, from Joe Biden to Sanders, um, all the way down. You know, we are raising a lot of money as a party, and so that should be encouraging uh, for for Democrats as they're looking at the general election. Um, uh, Some news today: uh, uh, Castro, Julian Castro, uh, decided to uh, end suspend his campaign. Um, you know, he was someone who, uh, I felt brought a lot to the race, uh, mm-hmm. especially when he started. Uh, I think he was very impressive. Uh, a lot of people will tell you he was super, very impressive on the stump and, um, just wasn't able to catch on though. Um, and, uh, um, so, you know, hopefully he, I, I expect him to have a role in the next, Democratic administration, um, but uh, what are your thoughts on on Castro and why, you know, he may have not caught on?
1: You know, Doug, you and I were both on MSNBC earlier today today together, which was really fun because I feel like we very rarely as two Democratic strategists get to go on together, but um, you made a really valid point, which is, you know, yeah, there has been a lot of diversity in this primary. There have been a lot of diverse candidates, but the majority of the um, electorate who is diverse, African-Americans, Latinos, um, are not supporting people of color as their candidates. They are supporting Joe Biden. They are supporting Bernie Sanders. They're supporting Elizabeth Warren. Um, I mean, sure, there are some who are supporting Cory Booker and who are supporting Castro, but um, the mo- majority of them are going with um, you know, with the front runners uh, and 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 that 's just you know there 's a variety that of reasons surprising. why
0: and that shouldn 't be surprising to anyone but like, that doesn
1: 't mean yeah exactly, and that doesn 't mean that it 's the dnc 's fault that you know someone besides Andrew Yang, a person of color, was not on the debate stage um, in in december that 's not their fault. I mean the electorate is deciding who they want to be with, and right now the majority of them are going with Joe Biden, the majority of the diversity, um, diverse electorate out there, African-American voters. Um, You know, Castro, I think he's just a symptom of the fact that so many people were running this race. and
0: Couldn't break through.
1: Couldn't break through. He just simply couldn't break through. But I think one of his most significant, if not his most significant contributions to this primary was in one of those first debates when he talked about decriminalizing the border. Mm -hmm. Um, And he kind of forced some candidates to take a position on that, um, which I think might get some folks in trouble if they're the actual nominee in the general, because it might play well in the primary, but it's not a very popular position to have going into the general if you're the nominee. Um, Joe Biden, of course, was one of those candidates who did not take a position, um, was not swayed by Castro's posture on that. Um, but, but I think that's going to end up being his significant contribution. And he will be somebody that every single candidate will be vying for his endorsement. He also um, kind
0: of kneecapped Beto too during he that did. debate. He did. And he did. And that was you know Beto was not prepared. No, he was not. And you could I feel like you could trace some of the, you know, sort of the eventual withdrawal of Beto mm-hmm. to that moment. Um you know, it start like sort of that started, I think, things unraveling for for Beto's campaign. Um but um so um Let's go to Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of, the stor- one of the stories of this past year has been just the resilience of Joe Biden and his campaign. Dura Joe. Dura Joe. Being able to survive, um, you know, we, we don't need to go through all of them, but certainly a number of, of whether you want to say gaffes or issues that have been brought up in the press, he has survived. And he is right now about where he was last year. He is yeah. the runner, national front runner. Um, you know, and, uh, in some of the early states, he's, uh, anywhere between one and three in the polling, mm-hmm. um, fundraising we knew was always going to be an issue for him. Uh, and he, he's actually done a pretty good job of fundraising. I think he's, you know, he, he's, uh, you know, this, this quarter, he had a, he had a, he had a really good quarter. So, um, and he's also been able to, uh, weather the, the best attacks that Republicans have been able to throw at him. So... What are, what are your thoughts on Dora Biden, Dora Joe?
1: I think it's pretty simple. I think, I think the majority of voters, their top priority, which we've seen in poll after poll, is defeating Donald Trump. It's an issue. It's, it's, you know, it's up there with health care. It's up there with better jobs, better wages. But they are so concerned about beating Trump. And still to this day, they just believe that Joe Biden is the best candidate out there to do it. Um, You know, look, he's got this sort of perfect storm around him right now. He's got, um, you know, even though, of course, Barack Obama has not endorsed him, he is very much affiliated with President Obama. He gives people feels, you know, about the good old days of the Obama administration when people um, felt optimistic and had an aspirational president and an aspirational administration. So he's able to benefit from that, even though he has not been officially endorsed by him. And he's just got a lot of experience. He's just a solid, solid guy who is able to connect on a uh, very personal level with a lot of voters. So you've kind of got all of these factors in play. And I also think something, Doug, that's going to be interesting to watch, you know, we've got a number of foreign policy challenges that we've had, you know, sort of simmering out there, but a lot of them are coming home at a roost right now. North Korea is making, yet again, more threats. We're seeing the situation in Iraq um, with the embassy being stormed. USNBC being stormed. There are so many different foreign policy challenges, and I think the more those drive the news, and the more you see the Trump administration sort of make blunders and, um, you know, ha- make careless mistakes when it comes to foreign policy. Um, the more Joe Biden will benefit from that because he was the longtime chair slash ranking member on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Um, he, he has personal relationships with world leaders globally. All of those factors will come into play for him. Um, and, and I think he'll benefit from that the more and more foreign policy issues lead the news.
0: Yep. Um. He has also assembled uh, – everything you said I agree with, uh, and I think if foreign policy becomes a bigger issue in this campaign, that is obviously to his advantage. But he's also – look, he's assembled um, the the most diverse coalition of any candidate out there right mm-hmm. now. Um, and
1: he's, he's dealt with a lot of attacks this year. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously the uh, Ukraine situation, the de- debunked conspiracy theory, which led to the president being impeached, um, you know, he has um, – not had some great debate performances. He's had some awkward moments on the campaign trail. Um, but none of those things have seemed to really affect him. And I think a lot of it has to do with... Look, I think he's benefited in large part by having a crowded primary um, because of his name ID, because of his ties to the Obama administration, um, you know, everything we just listed. But I, he, I still think he's the one to beat in this race because, and the reason why I say that versus Bernie Sanders is that Joe Biden does have that very, very diverse coalition that nobody else seems to be able to penetrate.
0: Right. And uh, I think of all of the four frontrunners, five if you want to put Warren in there, I think of those folks, the one person who can survive, I think, losing Iowa and New Hampshire— and also, and then win the nomination is Joe Biden. Yeah, um, I think he is the only one. I think if Bernie or Elizabeth Warren doesn't win New Hampshire, I think one of them, one that will hurt whoever it is who loses that. And then I think if Buttigieg doesn't win Iowa, I think it's going to be hard for him.
1: Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point. I think that, I think Buttigieg is almost—I don't want really to say he's a shoe in, but he is uh, really—he's significantly leading in Iowa right now. Now, we all know that polls only mean so much in Iowa. It's all about ground game, organization. Um, You know, hopefully we can have somebody like Matt Paul or another Iowa caucus expert on our podcast before the caucuses. But in short, to our listeners out there, you've got to keep in mind that you have to literally convince your supporters in Iowa, the registered caucus goers in Iowa, to go to their caucus location for about two hours from seven to nine seven to ten on a Tuesday night and hang out there until you know until until the caucusing is complete yeah i mean that's that 's asking a lot of someone. This is not just running in you know early voting, yeah. which takes five there's minutes no absentee. sometimes there 's no absentee there's you know the, the, they try to do this telecaucus thing um, to to allow more people to participate if they 're traveling out of town and whatnot but um, ultimately that didn't work out because there was concern about um, cybersecurity and can you actually you know, ensure that that would be a secure process. So, I mean, organization is everything, and we have every reason to believe that Mayor Pete's team is very well organized. They've got a, you know, a strong apparatus on the ground, but Elizabeth Warren's got a very well-organized operation there, and she's pretty much still considered to be the one who has the best ground game in Iowa. And then Cory Booker. You know, Cory Booker's also somebody who's very – um, widely recognized as has, having a strong apparatus. So, yeah, the polls say one thing, but if you can't get your people to show up, then that's going to hurt you. So I say all that to say, sure, Mayor Pete's doing really well in Iowa, but, you know, organization is going to help make some people, uh, help make up some of the deficit that some of these candidates have. But going back to that really quickly. So Mayor Pete, let's say, theoretically wins Iowa. Or, uh, wins Iowa. Um, Bernie or Elizabeth will likely win New Hampshire. The one who doesn't win, I think that's going to hurt them. Now, it's going it's to matter more if Elizabeth Warren, it's going to matter more to Elizabeth Warren's campaign if she loses New Hampshire than Bernie. I think Bernie can still get away with losing New Hampshire and, and suffer less damage than Elizabeth Warren had just because he's got this insanely loyal base of people who have been with him for years and years and years and years, um, well beyond 2016. Nevada is always kind of like, yeah, I mean, it's great if you win it. Sure, everyone's going to compete there, but it matters less than the other three. And then South Carolina, if Joe Biden doesn't win in South Carolina, there is <laughs> there's some serious trouble going on there, but I don't think that's going to be the case.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it helps Joe Biden to have as many of these people around heading into Super Tuesday. You know, I think if you're his campaign, you want, you want there to be yes. a large field heading into Super Tuesday. Uh, the point about Iowa, you know, um, I, I cut my teeth in Iowa. That was the first campaign I ever did. And one of the things that I think people have to keep in mind is how important second choice can – you know, the second mm-hmm. choice of these folks are because – if you're not viable, viability means you have 15% of the people in that room. So one precinct location, if there's 100 people, and if you, are, if you have 14 people who caucus for you, you're not viable. And so those 14 people are available in the second round of selection to any of the other viable candidates. So that means that, for example, if, if Cory Booker is not viable in in, in a particular location, who are the you know, who is the second choice for his supporters? Now they may have different ones, but there is some evidence that um, you know that if you're if you're a you know a, a Sanders supporter that you're you know your second choice Is either Warren or Biden, and if you're Biden, your second choice is Sanders. So, all of these, you know, I think that's just one thing to keep in mind: is that it's really important to when you're looking at polling the polls that also ask who is your second choice to look at those numbers as well, because in a place like Iowa, that really matters. um, Because there's going to be a in these precinct locations in these caucuses, there's this there's a heavy lobbying effort to try to get those uh, those people who are um, you know, who are uh, supporting an un- a non-viable candidate to get them into uh, to-, to your side. And so that's something to keep, an- I think, keep a lookout for.
1: Yeah. And again, I just want to remind people sort of the way the process works in all of these states, not just Iowa, but every single state in the Democratic primary, which is, is all 50 states. Um, you got to get as a candidate 15 percent of the vote in a congressional district and or statewide in order to even qualify for delegates. So that, to your point, Doug, is why the second ballot matters so much. So let's say hypothetically you're Amy Klobuchar, you're Cory Booker, you're not clearing 15% in a lot of the places in Iowa, or you're not clearing 15% maybe anywhere in Iowa. Then you are hoping that you can be the second choice for people because that way if more people are picking you as their second choice – then that can help you get up to that 15%. Yeah.
0: It's, uh, it's something to keep, keep an eye out for morning consult does a good look at, um, people's second choice, uh, uh, candidates. Uh, so that's, that's a good place to, to look at. Um, uh, Elizabeth Warren, what are your, what are your thoughts on, you know, everyone, I think the conventional wisdom right now, or is that, you know, we're seeing a, that, that she has had a, a tough fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's hard to tell right now. I think in this, it, 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 the, the polling suggests that, but there are some polls that show her, you know, also leading Bernie Sanders and nationally. Um, but you know, where do where do you think Elizabeth Warren is right now in this race? Is she, she we had her as our co front runner at, at least I had her as mm-hmm. our front runner at one point. Mm-hmm. Certainly. I don't think she's there now. I think the emergence of Bernie has, has hurt her um, more than anyone else. And, uh, and I also don't think that her, her, her counterpunches on, Bur- on Mayor Pete were that effective. They seemed yeah, a little— Yeah, the um, wine um, cave. Yeah, and, and it also—I exposed. I mean, you know, there was a—the next day there were stories about the money that she transferred from her Senate campaign Correct. to her presidential. A lot of that money—you know, not a lot, but um, some of that money was raised by these people that she's now— that she's Criticizing. Criticizing.
1: I'm not certainly not counting her out um, because I do think that she has got some really talented campaign staff who um, have been amassing a very well-organized machine on the ground in Iowa and some of these early states that really matter. So I'm definitely not counting her out. But I do think that, um, to your point, Doug, you've got to be really careful what stones you cast in a primary, because especially at your opponents, because you never know what's going to come back to haunt you. Or in Elizabeth Warren's case – you know, I think she had to assume that that would be a counterpunch by Mayor Pete um, because she has raised money from the, the very individuals that she's now criticizing on the campaign trail. So, you know, you just you just got to be careful there. But look, she's got she's very, very, very popular with, um, you know, she's got a lot of people in her corner. Um, I, I don't I'm by no means counting her out. And, you know, in, in fact, one can even argue that maybe it's good that she is sort of you know, come down a little bit from her, from what might've been her peak, but maybe she's not quite the front run- runner that she was because she tends to be less scrutinized at that point. So sometimes right. if you're hovering at like, you know, third or fourth place, um, it allows you to have, to be less scrutinized and to be treated as the front runner and allows you therefore to pick up some steam again. So look, I, I, I expect her to do really well in the caucus, I mean, the early States and The Super Tuesday states where she's had, um, you know, a significant advantage. You know, one of the things that Elizabeth Warren did in 2018, which was so smart, and it's kind of shocking that you don't see more presidential candidates doing, although I would assume that she is going to start a trend. She had campaign staff that she paid for from her Senate PAC, from her Senate campaign fund. She had campaign staff organizing for other races on the ground in key states So that they had an advantage with getting to know the players, getting to know the turf, if you will, um, who then not only helped people get elected, Democrats get elected, but then immediately joined her presidential campaign. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. So I think that you are going to see she's got such a well-oiled machine. I think you will see her outperform um, where she's performing right now in the polls when you actually see the results come in. But she has certainly had some stumbles.
0: So let me, I'm going to ask you a couple questions and get your thoughts on looking back at 2019. Uh, The first question I have for you is, what do you think the biggest surprise of 2019, what was it in this race?
1: Mayor Pete, without a question. I think his ascension, I think his, not just his ascension. I mean, I think just him becoming this sort of coming out of the woodwork um, is just being this really significant Uh, force and voice and and inspirational figure in the Democratic Party. Um, You know, this is a guy who ran for DNC chair and lost. Um, But he has um, been one of the greatest success stories, I think, of the Democratic Party in in this generation. Um, And uh, what we are seeing with Mayor Pete and, you know, frankly, everybody who's running this time around, uh, we are rebuilding that bench um, that people said we didn't have. Like, who's going to run? Who's out there? well, you know what, we do have a pretty big bench now, but I think Mayor Pete has been somebody that has really surprised a lot of folks and really got people excited about being a Democrat.
0: Yeah, yeah. I would say for me it was Kamala Harris and her withdrawing even before the first contest. I did not see that coming. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, when it happened, I did. But uh, you, if you were to ask me last year, you know, I would have thought that Kamala Harris was... Um, Probably anywhere between, you know, had had probably, in my estimation, the second or third best chance to win the nomination, uh, and um, the fact that she wasn't, you know, she wasn't able to make it to Iowa, I was, I was pretty shocked by, um, and uh, especially because on paper she's just so, you know, her she's just like a she, she's a blue chip, you know, a blue chip candidate, and um, for whatever reason things just didn't go her way, and I was. You know, and you could also say the same thing for Beto. Both of these candidates came into this race with a lot of hype, and um, they weren't able to make it to Iowa, which I think you look look at I, I I think is really surprising, particularly from Kamala Harris's standpoint. Yep. Um, second, okay, my last my last question on twenty nineteen who who's run the best campaign?
1: Who, um, boy, that is um. You know, a couple of things. First of all, I think it depends on what context you're talking about, right? Because we haven't seen, n- not one person has cast a vote yet, right? right. So we can speculate, you know, how who, who is taking advantage of certain moments and who is um, ascended and, you know, because of smart decisions made by campaign staff versus the candidate themselves. Um, but, you know, I, th- I would give Elizabeth Warren's campaign. I mean, I know that she's down a little bit in the polls right now, but I would say that the fact that they have been—they weathered some storms early on. They put their head down. She put her head down and got the job done. Um, but they just have such a sophisticated ground game and operation, field operation. When you, you know, it's not talked about a lot. But when Elizabeth Warren is taking every last selfie, people are actually from her campaign are going to each person who's waiting that line for two plus hours and saying, "Tell me about yourself. What do you like to do? What's your favorite activity?" What's your favorite, um, you know, what, what issue drives you the most in this race? Um, what do you want to see change the most, um, you know, from in, in the White House? Or what, you know, they're asking, they're collecting data so that they can then put that into their own giant database and that they can just very much identify the, the actual voters they're targeting. I mean, that's significant. And... um you know, I don't know. I don't know what else there is to be said. We already talked about the ground game that she, um, the fact that she's had so many people in so many states for a long time, well before she decided to run for president, helping candidates, down ballot candidates in 2018. So I would say that she's probably got the best overall operation.
0: We've, I think both of us have been very high on her, on her campaign uh, from the, you know, from the very beginning when, you know, she had a rough spot when she first got in and then she was able to rebound and just incrementally gain on uh, Joe Biden and uh, and Bernie Sanders. But, you know, my choice is actually and I don't think they get enough credit, but I, I think Biden's campaign has been um, has been very solid uh, from start to finish. You know, uh, of this year, uh, you know, they had a theory of the case and they've stuck stuck to it. Um, they found, you know, they didn't try to make Joe Biden something that he isn't. He They mm-hmm. allowed Joe Biden to be Joe Biden. Um, and that comes with a lot of great things and sometimes some things that uh, can be problematic. But at the same time, I think that they've run a really solid campaign. And you and I know a number of the folks over there, Anita Dunn and Kate Bedingfield, mm-hmm. Kate Berner. You got Kamai Marshall. Um, uh, you know, they, they've put together, Greg Schultz, they put together a really solid team. Oh, yeah. Who... who know their candidate like they aren't trying what i appreciate is they are running they have they they have their theory of how he's going to win the don't nomination. forget about
1: john anzalone john
0: anzalone our, on our, our podcast I know, yes we john anzalone uh, i mean there's a whole bunch of super talented people on that um on that campaign and uh but the the other thing is just being able the durability yeah know, being able to um survive some of these hits that they've taken um so I, I look, I uh, you know, I think you could. I think you could look at a, a, a number of these campaigns. You could Andrew Yang. I mean, who who ever thought that this that Andrew Yang would be where he is but right here's now? here's my a,
1: question on Yang, and I'm sorry, Yang Gang, don't get don't harass me online when I say this. But I'm genuinely curious. I mean, I don't think that there's been enough exploration by the media or enough discussion, understanding. Um, from all of us about how his campaign is spending that money. Mm-hmm. You know, do they have a significant ground game? We don't talk about it very often, right? I mean, what does their operation look like? Yes, he's got this huge online, you know, activist community that has raised a lot of money for him. I mean, that's seventeen and a half million dollars. It's huge compared to, um, you know, some of the other folks like Cory Booker and and you know, we haven't seen A.B. Klobuchar's numbers yet, but um, I. Would be surprised if she hit seventeen and a half million. I mean, that's a lot of money. So, but the question is, how are they spending it, and how are they transferring or translating that money into actual what will be actual votes and actual caucus goers?
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, I, he's up on TV in Iowa. Um, you know, as are many of these candidates now. Um, Pete uh, is Mayor. Pete is up on TV in South Carolina. He's one of the only few only. Top tier candidates who's running in ads, ads right now in South Carolina, Uh, but Yang just uh, released a new ad uh, in Iowa. I think in the last few days. Uh, So, but yeah, look, I mean, ultimately, this money, how you spend the money is just as important as how you raise it. And the cash on hand figure, I think, also is really important when we're looking at these fundraising reports. It's important to you know the raise money is always you know it's an I think an indicator of who has some momentum and strength, but also. You know the burn rate's important to look at because you know the cash on hand figure really will dictate what these campaigns are able to do over the course of the next two three months so keep an eye on that number as well when these folks are sometimes they don't they won't release the cash on hand figure uh until they absolutely have to when they're you know when the f e c that's usually
1: are, not a good sign not a good <laughs>
0: sign um but they want you know they they want the the coverage to be on what they raised um, but um all right. Well, lots to uh, look forward to.
1: Lots to discuss and look forward to. I can't believe it's actually here. I can't believe it's 2020. I can't believe the Iowa Cox's are 32 days away. The one thing that we didn't talk about, Doug, that I just think we should touch on really quickly is the Bloomberg effect.
0: Oh, yeah. Um,
1: You know, we've talked about this before, but, again, to put everything into perspective, right now, to our knowledge, he has spent – Um, or placed media in the amount of about $120 million nationally with a big focus on Super Tuesday states. Although anybody who watches cable television will know that he is advertising very heavily on MSNBC and CNN on, on, on the cable nets. He also has advertised in the bowl games, the college bowl games, and um, you know we'll see if he actually puts something up in the Super Bowl. That's going to be interesting because those ads are not very cheap, as we know. Um, So the question becomes, of course, knowing that he's not playing at all, I mean, it's not even on the ballot in Super Tuesday. I mean, I'm sorry, in the early states, but he is in the Super Tuesday states. Can he actually basically buy his way into a viable being, becoming a viable candidate? And um, that's going to be interesting. But the great thing, this is what makes me so just feel so good about the Bloomberg candidacy is that even if he is not the nominee, which, you know, stranger things have happened. We'll see what happens. Uh, but even if he's not the nominee, his, his team has indicated that he will be very, very focused financially and putting the, you know, the team that he's amassed um, to be part of his campaign, he will put them to work for the general election nominee. And that is, a, that is very good news because, you know, Priorities USA, which is run by our dear friend Guy Cecil, it's sort of the pre- premier super PAC for the Democrats, the Democratic presidential race. I mean, they raise a lot of money. They do a lot of good work. But the Republican side has so many different—they've got like five Priority USAs, right? So it's good that we've got somebody who knows how to spend money effectively and also has uh, you know, people on his team who know how to spend money effectively, Howard Wolfson, Kevin Sheiky, Bryn Craig, you can go down the list of people. And the fact that he will be able to put his personal wealth to work for the Democratic nominee is such good news, Yeah, if well, he's not the nominee.
0: And remember, you know, uh, a month or so ago, uh, he, he donated $10 million to defend House Democrats who were facing attacks uh, on impeachment. Uh, he, I think he gave ten million dollars to the House Majority PAC, uh, which is the PAC defending House Democrats. So, um, you know, right now he's up. As you said, he's in the March. He's he's focusing on those March March states. Um, his creative primarily is a heavy on bio, optimistic, positive stuff. He does mention Trump at times, but a lot of this is um, you know about introducing Michael Bloomberg. I think he's hoping for like a four car. Uh, pile up uh, between Warren and <laughs> Biden and Sanders and Buttigieg. And, you know, the best outcome maybe for Bloomberg is that you have three different winners of those four early states. I yeah. think there's really only a chance for there to be three. I don't see Biden losing South Carolina. Um, so in um, uh, and, and Nevada is obviously you could have four. Uh, but then you go into Super Tuesday and these campaigns, they're depleted of cash. You know mm-hmm. and California, you've been a chief of staff to a member of cal- to to a California member it's of Congress very
1: expensive you can you cannot spend enough money in that state
0: no, and it's I mean I don't know how many media markets are in California, it's a lot like twelve like, uh, think more and and even just getting around the state mm-hmm. is hard so mm-hmm. Florida that's another state that's a not not super Tuesday, but it is in march uh Texas, so big states, and so I think you know. Bloomberg's message right now is I'm going to be able to be everywhere. I'm going to be able to compete in every state, of course, not counting the first four. And that's what we need to be able to take on Donald Trump. I'm the only one out there who can actually go toe to toe against Donald Trump in every state in the union. So, you know, we'll see. It's their theory of the case. I think it's, the, you know, it's the uh, it's probably all that they, you know, it get starting as late as they did. Um, they're executing on it We'll see what happens um, uh, But you know I think it remains to be seen What actual impact He has had so far I'm not entirely sure It's clear um, But uh, um, We'll see We'll see It's going to be uh, it, It's an unorthodox way To win the nomination But again We've seen uh, Stranger things happen In, <laughs> in our careers um, Alright Elrod Anything all right. else Anything We miss anything Nope I feel like we've Covered a lot of ground here We have Um, so for my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, uh, this is Doug Thornell. This has been the first edition of the electables in 2020, our season two. Looking forward to, uh, the next two, three months. It's going to be crazy and hope you guys stick with us and follow us. Um, we'll see you next time.